0: As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today... We are going to be looking at the Thunders Salt Lake City Summer League finale against the Philadelphia 76ers, kind of just how that one shaped out some of the top performers from that game and what OKC has upcoming in the Las Vegas Summer League. And I'm also going to be talking about DJ Wilson. I mentioned him on the pod yesterday. He has just been signed to a two year deal. By the Toronto Raptors. So, I'll be talking about him, his journey with the Thunder organization last year, and what you can expect from him going into the Summer League. And to top it all off, guys, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So, you do not want to miss out on that. Starting things out though with the Thunders finale in Salt Lake City. OKC walked into this game against the 76ers with two just easy victories they won by 21 points against the Utah Jazz I believe they won by 17 points against the Memphis Grizzlies on Wednesday so they were clearly like the number one team and for the Philadelphia 76ers they split both games they lost against the Grizzlies in their opener and then they defeated the Utah Jazz and they had two guys back in the rotation and Paul Reed and Isaiah Joe they dropped 20 and 19 points respectively on Tuesday and I say this every time I speak on Paul Reed I've said it for the last two seasons but this man is a monster the fact that he was playing in a summer league game um, you know with the Thunder playing guys like Giddy you can't really nitpick but that's an NBA player easily he needs to be in the rotation for Doc Rivers next season if not Someone needs to trade for him because he is one heck of a player. Anyways, though, they both returned to the rotation for Philly. And the Thunder had a couple changeups. change-ups. The biggest one was that Chet Holmgren just did not play last night. And that is due to just rest. OKC begins their Las Vegas games tomorrow. So Saturday against the Houston Rockets. So they just wanted to kind of rest him up because it was kind of obvious on Wednesday that He just wasn't the same player on Tuesday, and it wasn't a matter of his, like, overall efficiency. Like, yeah, that took a major drop-off and everything, but just defensively, you could tell he was sluggish. He was the last man across the timeline in some instances, and that's just not the same player we saw. The player we saw on Tuesday was Chet Holmgren getting a rebound, orchestrating coast-to-coast play virtually every time, and looking to isolate. There just was not any of that after about the first quarter for Chet, so... They decided to kind of pop him out, had Poku and JRE in the front court, and they had Trey Mann returning. So you swap one out, you get one back in with Man. I think he was in Oklahoma City during his time in health and safety protocols, but he made the flight over to Utah. And for Trey Mann, I don't know where he got COVID or why you know he got traced or whatnot. I think a bowling alley might actually be one of the Places they might have looked or something that man might have said maybe he got it here or whatnot because he's been in a bowling alley for like three consecutive days before the COVID ruling got him out of the Salt Lake City debut he is in Edmond bowling looks like all the time and his you know breaks I guess you could call it he's a really good bowler too if you follow follow him on Instagram excuse me you'll see that even on Instagram Live, sometimes he'll go bowling. He's he's damn good. You know, I think he's getting like 200 pin games, which if you're not bowling, that is a really good number to get. The highest you can get is 300. So he's pretty high up there. I don't know if there's going to be like a team-wide bowling tournament they ever have. If they do, I, I'd probably put my money on Trey Man. though. We haven't seen the competition yet, so I'll just have to leave it at that. Anyways, he gets to come back in. He's the immediate starter. And Josh Giddy plays for the third game. A little bit of a surprise to see him play all three of these things. We'll have to see what his role is in Las Vegas. But he goes into this as the starter yet again, trying to kind of see him next to man yet again. And then J-Dub is shifted down to the bench. OKC has just dominated against opponents in the first quarter we're talking double digit leads they're establishing from the get-go that they are going to win the basketball game that really did not happen in the first quarter and you could see that I mean by the end of that first it was more or less just a back and forth where no one was really dominating in terms of shooting percentage it was 19 to 15 going in Philly's way and believe it or not That four-point margin was the biggest that OKC had faced the entire time in Salt Lake City to that point. I think the highest technically was five in the first quarter. But OKC, they trailed by three points on both Tuesday and Wednesday. Never anything higher, and they were leading in the 20s in the last two nights. So obviously there was a different type of mood in the midst of this game. When you're looking at overall shot production, first quarter saw no real three-point threats. Lindy Waters had one three ball, but a one of seven output, that's not going to help. And I think, you know, once they get into the regular season stages or if they make like the summer league finals and there's actual adjustments made, OKC is not going to be defended at the perimeter. And every single game... They have not been able to establish the three-pointer. So they could not do that to open play. On the flip side, Philly was just looking to go to the basket. Jaden Springer had nine points. Paul Reed had five. And they were just kind of looking to claw back as they approached the halftime horn. When you got to halftime, you still saw basically a deadlock. It was 39-39. to And it was still sort of the Jaden Springer show, if you will, for Philadelphia. OKC did get some production out of Trey Mann. And Trey Mann did not have a good Las Vegas Summer League last year. He could not buy a bucket. He was looking to crash inside on layups a lot. And he could not get fouls. They were kind of just errant shots. He wasn't really looking to attack on crazy shots this time. Still had 11 points on 5 of 8 shooting. And he had a 3 pointer to go along with it. Had a good in and out sequence where he was able to pop it from the right wing, got that one good to go. I mean, he's such a good space creator. And in a place such as the Summer League, it's a lot of one on one possessions. You know, I think as an executive or as someone monitoring things, you want to find players that are looking to pass as opposed to taking, you know, 15 shots a game and not having any assists to show for it. But if you're able to put the ball on the deck and score, and be that top option for a little bit, by all means, let it ride. Trey Mann was able to do that. And that's kind of why it was a tie ball game going into that second half. Big difference, though, was Josh Giddy just was not a big factor in the scoring department. He had four assists at halftime, but was 0 of 3 from the field. So, not much to talk about with him. And I think a lot of it is just how Chet was not part of the equation. And instead, you had guys such as JRE and Jay Will. Being the centers, Jay Will is not a three-point shooter. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, I don't think he's a very established one. Is he a decent three-point shooter? For sure. But Chet is obviously a better player in that aspect, and he's going to get a lot more attention off of fading to the three-point line off of a screen. So they were able to crowd the paint, cause some confusion for OKC, and when they got in that third quarter, you know, they were looking to find somebody that they could kind of ride the coattails on, and they didn't really have that. Giddy did improve. I mean, he was able to pick his spots inside, which just, as I talked about, did not happen in the first half. Got to the line four different times in the third quarter. So he led the Thunder with seven points, and they actually walked into the fourth with a three-point lead. But it wasn't like anybody was super efficient from the field. I think that... OKC was kind of just spreading things out. You know, there was an established pecking order the first two games where it was Chet, Giddy, and J-Dub. No one um, really had that, you know, number one seed, if you will. You could say Trey Man, but it was not consistent enough going into that fourth quarter. And once you got into that fourth, things did get just a little bit interesting. There was a big stretch by Josh Giddy, that was able to, you know, kind of put them up a little bit in the fourth quarter. But then the 76ers got on a big-time run. And it got to the point where you're talking back and forth, one-point lead, lead change, one-point lead, lean change. Trey Mann hit two free throws with 40 seconds to go. OKC's up a stick man, and actually two off that second one. But then Isaiah Joe, the man who did not play the day before Hits a three-point shot to give them a one-point lead. On the returning side, Trey Mann, about 24 seconds to go. He's not looking to get a quick shot. And I know there's always that talk of, it's a three-point game. Do you let it ride and go for the tie? Or do you want a quick two and foul? Trey Mann wanted the basketball in his hands. Went in isolation. Pulled a three-pointer. Went left. No good. Philly wins 80-79, OKC goes 2-1 in Salt Lake City, and they're going into Las Vegas with some pretty good stats that I'll go into, but obviously they are not 3-0 like what they probably hope to be when they take on the Rockets tomorrow. I'm going to talk about more of the stats and more of the plays we saw from last night's game in one second here, also going to talk about DJ Wilson as I mentioned, but first, I want to let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. Right now, you have the Las Vegas Summer League commencing. We saw the battle between Paulo and Jabari. Jaden Ivey going up last night against Sharp, even though we didn't see much time from him. Hopefully, he's okay. There's going to be some breaks for you all on DraftKings Sportsbook. Who's going to go over or under on the point total? Who's going to actually win in Las Vegas? There are some rings at stake now, so that kind of heightens things. But you guys can throw some bets down there. If it was up to me, I'd be looking at a team like um, OKC for sure. But, you know, there's going to be some dark horses. I know the Dallas Mavs lost earlier today, but they had a very good duo between Jaden Hardy and A.J. Lawson. So I think they're scary if they end up winning their next three. We'll see if that would actually push them into that final two. Anyways, though, you guys can look at all those different numbers, all those different potential bets on DraftKings Sportsbook. And if you guys are interested in the offer, here is what you have to do. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Getting right back on track with the Thunders game. You know, it was a different mood. This wasn't one where it was sunshine and rainbows the entirety of the second half. This was a back-and-forth game where... OKC was playing basically a lot of their core from last season and you had the 76ers with a couple of remnants but not that many and they were able to kind of brute force that way uh, brute force their way excuse me into that victory I think this was the best game for OKC in terms of experience because you the, the game against Utah this was just easy pickings it was a pop a shot type of game for Chet Holmgren everybody basically was playing shoot around at the three but at the same time Utah did not collapse inside off of screens so there's a lot of easy baskets in the paint J-Dub was just kind of burning people every time on cuts and if we're going to be realistic I know J-Dub is a three-point shooter but there's going to be some weak side help in most cases on these cuts so you got to see kind of the effectiveness that these guys would have um, if the team was kind of surrounded by a ton of sharpshooters. But then, against Memphis, adjustments were made, and offensively, they were kind of clogged up, but the defense really showed with Chet. Still only 22 points in the paint were allowed for the Grizz, so they still got that one handedly. This time, there's no Chet Holmgren. You don't have that just amazing force down low who's going to stop Biggs, who's going to deject guards from attacking the basket, and because of that, The 76ers who have one of the better inside forces who will be in Las Vegas, that would be Paul Reed. You can kind of just play bully ball around the basket, but it also works in ways that guards are able to kind of seep into the painted area as well and reap some rewards. So it was surprising. OKC got outscored in the paint this time. That did not happen on Tuesday and Wednesday, and collectively they outscored opponents by, I think it was... 44 no 46 points, excuse me, in the paint. It was a 90 to 44 differential, which is really just gigantic. Anyways, they you know they had a bigger challenge here, and because they had to adapt and because their play style was basically just destroyed due to Chet being out, you got to see everybody. Uh, kind of in a little bit more of an uncomfortable situation, but it also shows you just the sort of impact a stretch five and someone such as Chet Holmgren is able to have in your daily rotation. Josh Giddy was still very impressive. 10 points, five rebounds, and seven assists. Dude got a posterizer in this game, and it was against Malik Ellison. He was on the College Park Skyhawks last year. Ellison's a guard. He's a high flyer. He was, I think, able to block Giddy a couple possessions beforehand, and Giddy had murderous intentions on his mind. He drives left wing, and even though Giddy's not getting up high, you know, he's going to take his time on the uphill there. So, sort of like glides up to the rim, two handed flush, two handed rim grazer straight out of 2K, but he absorbs the contact, flushes it down. Ellison's on the floor little stare down which gave him a tech if that didn't happen it's an overtime game it doesn't matter because it's summer league but i just thought that was interesting Dub almost has like a meme face on i'm trying to picture or, or i'm trying to find the word for the name of this meme but it's like It's almost like a a stick man type of guy with some eyes bulging out of his sockets and his mouth just wide open. That's basically what J-Dub looked like. Like he was kind of kooked out of his mind to see that Giddy threw it down and everybody on the floor uh, was definitely relishing in that moment. I think they were fine. They got a technical foul assessed for that play. To my knowledge, that's the only tech we've seen in the summer league so far. Have you asked Giddy, like I said, he's he's probably okay with that um, overall result, though. The leader in points for the Thunder was actually Poku. He had 14 points on 5 of 9 shooting. And for Poku, I mean, you know how it goes. It's just up and down, up and down. Is there anything that you can really chalk up to how uh, consistent he'll be? I don't think so. You know, if, if anyone's working on data science, I think that Alexei Pokashevsky would be just amazing case study based on how he's almost a better NBA player than he is a G League player. But he was able to rise up with no Chet Holmgren. Caught some fire from range, went two for three there. And he did have a couple assists in the mix as well. Aaron Wiggins had 11 points. He shot four of five from the floor. I think when you're talking most trustworthy players on the Thunder roster, Aaron Wiggins has to be one of them. There's just a lot of wild cards on this Thunder team, and they're so young. Wiggins, on the doorstep of 23 years old now, he's just like that consistent bench figure, and he's almost like Kenrich Williams in the fact that I don't think he's going to be a starter for you, but if you're looking to contend and you need some two-way ability, Aaron Wiggins is somebody that you definitely look at, and based on him being 22, 23 years old, Playoff teams would definitely love him as a project, but also someone that you could play for like 10 to 15 minutes as a role player within the rotation. Drop off from J-Dub this time. He went 2 of 7, 0 of 1 from 3, so he was really just picking his spots in the paint. A lot of it just comes down to the floor spacing, though, and the floor spacing was way worse than what you saw the first two nights. That's why they lost the game, and it's because they just could not find the basket much from 3. They still made some shots there, but, you know, it wasn't consistent enough to where it's going to push you over the edge in some of these competitions. V. Kredge is a guy that didn't show crazy numbers in this game. He had five points, no rebounds, and two assists, but I'll tell you what, if you look at him on the court, it's so much more than just the stat log for him. Like, he did a beautiful job handling the basketball, had a step back three that he launched up. Just a very comfortable ball handler at six foot eight. And the Thunder are just so tied up in finding these types of players. They got him in the second round off of a trade-up that was basically f- free. Like, they kind of moved up from pick 54 to 37, gave out a second-round pick that Really, they wouldn't have used. We can see that by some of the trades they've made lately. You know, they're throwing out seconds like they're potato chips uh, at some points here. But Veet has a really good archetype. He's partially guaranteed this year, a little bit below $1 million. I would keep him if I were Oklahoma City. And I know the roster crunch is going to take away good players. Isaiah Roby being the first was sort of a surprise there. Um, But... I really hope that Viet gets to stay, whether it's on a standard deal or maybe they move him down to a two way contract and he's still okay with that. And I know they actually just signed their second two way with Eugene Omaruyi, but Viet does still make sense as a two way guy because it'd only be his second season. I think, in terms of technicality, it's weird because he did sign with the OKC Blue in the bubble, but. Regardless, he could be a two-way signee, because it would be his second or third season as a professional. So those are sort of my takeaways. When you talk about the actual stats from the course of the last three nights, OKC did not have the biggest offensive play. I think that you kind of look into the top players. It was very top heavy for them, but the real numbers were not great, and these guys aren't together all the time, so you don't put a lot of trust into a three-game sample size or really any of these stats in some cases. But they didn't shoot particularly well. They shot forty-two point nine percent from the field, thirty point eight, um, yeah, thirty point eight percent from three. So twenty-nine of ninety-four, and then they shot in the seventies at the foul line. The big thing is just the three-ball. You know, if you're looking to space the floor and be a big time threat you need to hit your three pointers it doesn't matter much in summer league as i continue to sort of bang on that drum but you want to see your guys perform well especially with a team like okc where it's not like other franchises where they might have a second round pick or two that are playing and then everybody else is just fighting for a two-way spot or maybe a training camp spot this is a team in okc that has more of their guys on the roster than I would bargain anybody else does. I think there's more players inked to two-way deals or standard deals on this roster than there are Exhibit 10s, and I think I can really confirm that. There's only about, I think, four, four guys on Exhibit 10 deals, to my knowledge, right now. So yeah, it's a lot of guaranteed money that they have going to Vegas for tomorrow's contest. That means 30.8% is not going to cut it, really. You need to amp that up, and their top scorer uh, wasn't available for the last game, so you can chalk it up to that, if you will. Chet Holmgren definitely was the MVP of that Summer League, though. 23 points and 6 blocks in his debut. I said it on Twitter yesterday, sort of as a joke, and... I feel like it was obvious it was a joke, but when you have other fan bases tapping in on Twitter, you never really can see that. I was like, oh, Jabari and Paulo both did not drop 13 points in their first quarter, which is correct. That is a correct statement. Um, Chet dropped 13, had that 23-point outing, and I think for the most part, everybody got the memo, but yeah, Chet was like a firecracker in his first game, and he ends this with 17 points and 9.5 rebound averages. That's leading the team in both categories, and he had a double-double on Wednesday in what was kind of deemed a, a poor performance for him, if you will. Just putting up big-time numbers, and in Vegas, I'm certain that we'll see him at least in the first two games. I think with Josh Giddy. I don't know if we'll see him much, but first two games seem to be the ones I'd highlight just because it would be the Rockets and then the Orlando Magic. Um, But yeah, with Chet, really impressed with him. Talking about the games from yesterday, Paulo, thank God OKC didn't have to pick between Paulo or Chet because Paulo would be a very tough player to pass up on. And that was shown in the tape. I mentioned it in my uh, pre-draft talks when I was going down my big board board. Paulo was number one in terms of talent, I think in terms of fit, Chet was for OKC Thunder. But, oh man, Paulo was picking his spots anywhere he wanted to on the floor from all three levels. And his playmaking ability is just as advertised. For Jabari Smith, he didn't have as good of a performance. I think a lot of it is because he was sort of pinned down at the corner in the wing, wasn't looking to make much of an on-ball presence. But... Hopefully, he turns the corner, and he gets to go up against Chet next game, so that's a battle that is going to pique the interest of a lot of people, including everyone following the Thunder or the Houston Rockets, so those two, you know, had their own games. Jalen Duran was just flying up for lob after lob. Oh my gosh, he's such a fun player to watch. I honestly don't think he would be the best fit with the Thunder, so I'm not upset that they didn't take him I knew he'd be a hell of a player um, in terms of his athletic ability but OKC needs a scorer at the five position Chet is that and Durin is just so dynamic around the basket but he's not a shooter which would kind of lead you to even more of a clogged up lane especially when Durin would be just kind of cutting in for oops and SGA would also be kind of rolling downhill as well so I think it's fine just know Detroit had one of the best drafts, and Jane Nivey backed up his play, too. Not much from Shaden Sharp, and that's obviously stinks. Jabari Walker, though, you know, basically Mr. Irrelevant in this draft. 11 points and seven rebounds, and hardly any minutes. Keep looking towards him. My goodness, he was an absolute stud. Other studs, though, from this Thunder group Josh Giddy. Average 12.7 points, 6.7 rebounds, and 9.3 assists. Just a lot of high-level passing. He was on NBA Today earlier, and he had this cross-court pass to Trey Mann where at the free-throw line he told Trey, like, hey, spot up in the right corner. Immediately as he crosses the timeline, he throws the ball to Mann because his dude is kind of stuck right below the um, the painted area. So he's stuck in no man's land. Pass goes right over his defender. Man gets a wide open three. It's good to go. Just so high level in terms of intelligence. And he's younger than Chet Holmgren, which is even crazier to think about. Don't think there's any reason to continue to play him. I think if you're going to play him, do it against the top two teams, which should be upcoming. But after that, pull the plug and let other guys like Jaden Shackleford run the show or J-Dub as well. We saw him more as a scorer this week, averaged 13.3 points, but some of his best attributes come with his on-ball play. Really good in terms of straight-line driving this past, you know, 3 games, but he's still able to create room off of step-backs and find guys wide open in the passing department. So I'll be amped up to see that, and I think uh, a lot of those reps will be dictated by who's still playing. Is Trey Mann playing the full-course meal? Is Josh Giddy? I think if the answer is no to both, then J-Dub is actually going to be probably your secondary ball handler in some sets, which is big time, because he really has not been that so far. Uzman Jang also needs more on-ball reps. He um, he didn't really look particularly crazy in these first 3 games, averaged 7.3 points, 3.7 rebounds and just 1.7 assists. He's a 6 foot 10 ball handler. When you look at the MBL tape, a lot of stuff that gave him hype was how he was able to dictate opponents and kind of throw passes that other people simply cannot make. That is what kind of holds out hope going into Vegas because he wasn't a very good shooter. For OKC, his shot release is a bit on the slower end. And in terms of slashing to the basket, it wasn't like his speed was anything crazy. But like I said, the silver lining is because you had so many different handlers, Dang was sort of out of his element. He was in the corner most of the time, which, you know, isn't going to kind of highlight the more important parts of his game and what's going to actually benefit the whole roster the most. And I know. It's better to have the ball in giddy's hands than Jang right now, but he should get reps, and I'm sure he will have reps as we wind down in Las Vegas. Jay will everything defensively looked good for him, but on the offensive front, you could tell that, you know, he wasn't maybe the best fit in terms of how the team played. Uh, Compared to Chet Holmgren, which is kind of as to be expected. Those are two different types of players, but he did a decent job on rebounds, had charges in two of three games. The three ball was not beautiful, though. And because of that, you know, when he's in the rotation, you're looking to find him primarily in the mid range, I would say, on shots. He was a career 70% shooter at Arkansas at the foul line. So there is still room, but just not a lot of consistency from 3. I think you're going to continue to see Jay will shoot from that top of the key range though just because how important it is to how OKC plays. I don't expect it to go away and whatever the the result is off of those attempts, I still think they are warranted cuz he needs to make some of those strides uh, early compared to what we'd see potentially in the regular season. Or you drop him down, start him in the blue for a little bit, and you let him pop threes. He's going to need to work in that area, though, uh, moving on with the roster. OKC kicks off tomorrow against the Houston Rockets. As I said, they have the Orlando Magic following that on the 12th. That has Xavier Simpson on the roster, too. We saw a little hook shot from him. Uh, to close the first quarter yesterday. So that'll be a good little reunion for the OKC Blue fan base. I'll be definitely covering it. I've been covering Simpson basically all this offseason, and I've been covering everybody on the OKC Blue during the offseason, DJ Wilson being one of them. And DJ has a very interesting path because he was a first-round pick out of Michigan, number 17 pick in 2017 by the Bucks but he didn't play much in the NBA. He was a G League assignment with the Herd, and when he did play at the NBA level, barely touched the court. He was selected to be a stretch four, and honestly, he really was not one, at least not to the degree you'd expect him to be for that draft position. So he got dealt to the Houston Rockets two seasons ago, and after his contract, they didn't pick him back up. Nobody picked him back up. And he was an unrestricted free agent. So he joined the Thunders training camp roster last year, was one of the final signees along with Rob Edwards. And DJ didn't have the greatest training camp, albeit he hardly played. Um, But he still stuck around with the OKC Blue, which is a bit of a surprise given that the OKC Blue... You know, they basically had a roster that was filled with young guys, of course. But at the NBA level, you know, they're also really young. They're rebuilding. For someone like Wilson, his game kind of calls for maybe a rotational fixture in a playoff team or something. So I thought he'd go overseas or go to a different affiliate. He stayed true to the Thunder organization, though, and they most definitely gave back. He looked good in the Winter Showcase pool play games, which was in november and december and then they got to the actual tournament which was in december and this is when everyone in the nba was getting thrown on health and safety protocols they need to start picking players out of the g league and wilson ended up being one of them but this is a three game tournament with eight different teams wilson comes in and averages 25.5 points and 12.5 rebounds in the first two games. OKC is moving on to the finals, and then he gets signed to a 10-day by the Raptors. Wilson's gone. The Blue lose the $100,000 prize, and you could say a lot of it is due to Wilson and him not showing up. It was a good investment for him because he got two 10-day deals with the Raptors but did not get a New Year's present of a standard deal. So... Had to play with the blue again in the regular season. Balled out where he was just like the star again. Averaged 19.6 points and 11.2 rebounds in 17 games. And then the Raptors got him again in March on another 10-day deal. This time, whenever the Raptors picked him up, it looked like they had an ultimatum because they had to either sign him for the rest of the year or he was done because you can't play just an infinite amount of 10-day deals for players. Normally, it's only two, but because of the influx in health and safety rules, they were able to have that hardship deal, which doesn't really count against your typical 10 days. So if you want to go into the details, he could have even gotten four 10-day contracts. It's just the fifth one where now you're kind of getting close. But it was a very interesting time last year in terms of how the 10-day deals ended up working. Anyways, he gets into the game, and, um, you know, he has a non-contact knee injury, so he's out. They evaluate him. Not only is he done for his 10-day contract, he's done for the the whole season. So no OKC Blue return, no chance for the Raptors. Gets waived immediately after they got Armani Brooks, who got the standard contract or got to play out the remainder of the season and. Kind of just was a crappy situation for DJ because he was easily a top 10 player in the G League last year, but because of those injuries, he could not break into the NBA scene. So it was kind of a question of, well, what's the next move for him in the offseason? Because he clearly was on the NBA radar. He performed well when he was playing with the Raptors. I think he averaged like seven and a half points off the bench. But now he's not on a contract, he's coming off an injury, it's almost like he needs to prove himself again. So the Raptors signed him to a Summer League deal about a week ago, and actually today it became official, this comes from Michael Soto of Hoops Hype, that he inked a two-year partially guaranteed contract with the Toronto Raptors, and it comes with a guaranteed $250,000, which is more than he probably made last year off of that Exhibit 10 deal and um, the 10 days that followed, so that's already big for him, but obviously the goal is in sight. He wants to crack that 15-man rotation, and it's obvious that the Raptors had big interest in him before he got injured, and they still do have the interest if they're still extending an offer like this to him, so... I'm pumped up to see what is next for DJ. We're going to see him still playing some Summer League ball, probably. Still 26, so it's not like he's crazy, crazy old out here. Wish the best for him, though. You know, he's one of the better talents that we've seen with the OKC Blue the last few seasons, and I think his case is more different than any other player we've seen out here before. The G League is such a cool Host of prospects and even just organizations, it's really cool how they run some of these things because you know you get your best player plucked out before the a hundred thousand dollar game. That is the biggest kind of heart dropping moment that can happen, and it happens in the blink of an eye for Wilson. That's the best thing that could happen for an organization. You're happy Wilson's getting an NBA contract, that's where your job is uh, when you're working in the G League. You want to see your guys move up because that's going to help you. Uh, But also, your team just lost their best player for $100,000. There's a lot of different dominoes that can fall. And there's a lot of different situations, such as a former first-round pick having to drop back down to the G League, being a stud, and trying to get that second opportunity in the league. A lot of guys that the Thunder have blossomed out of the blue have been young players that have been homegrown. DJ Wilson's not the same case, but... His time with the blue obviously helped him just based on the experience and because he got to be sort of the focal point of the team, if you will. When you look at his role moving forward, he's a really good player offensively. He's going to get you rebounds and that's what matters. There's still a bit of a question mark in terms of how he's able to stretch the floor because even though... You'd think the G League is where you'd hone in on some of your spots of improvement, which with DJ, it's not like the three is like a major issue, but he could have worked on it a little bit. And if he was going to return to the NBA, I would have believed it's because he's a 38% shooter from three now. That was not the case this year, but he was an absolute monster in pick and roll sets. In terms of post play, he was great. He could still spot up from the free throw line, but the three ball was not really prevalent i still think if you put him in an nba floor he'll still shoot about 32 33 percent from distance so that's obviously good but you know he made his money's worth off of the interior and you know for these playoff teams they want to find guys that will attack the basket kind of play those uh grungy roles that maybe not everybody wants to and that's what dj wilson is going to be able to do not just for the raptors but just about any franchise that looks at him You look at a team like the Los Angeles Lakers, for example. They worked out DJ Wilson last month. They worked out Olivier Saar last month. They needed some help at the 4-5 and position. They needed their 15th man. They didn't need a starter. DJ Wilson's going to be fighting to be that 15th man, just someone you can plug in off the bench, and he's still going to help you get from your starter uh, to the next guy in the rotation. So I'm happy for DJ. I think that Toronto is a really good spot for him just based on the uh, mutual interest we've seen. So I want to see him back in the NBA, and um, it would be most likely through the Toronto Raptors. That makes two players from last year's Blue Squad guaranteed some sum of money with uh, a franchise. Lindy Waters has the two-way deal with the Thunder, and now DJ has a quarter of a mil guaranteed for the Raps. Everybody else will be fighting for a training camp spot or a potential deal. So you guys can look out to that. I did a pod yesterday breaking down all the former blue guys that are in Las Vegas. So make sure to give that a look. Other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.